Hello, everybody. It's uh, January 30th, 2019. This is To Hell and Back, um, my podcast. I think it's podcast number 41. And it's the second week in a row to talk about, um, you know, skills, relationship skills for dealing with um, the hell that results in life from really missing skills or, you know, though there's so many causes of hell in life. But one of them is, um, I mean, when you don't have um, certain skills, Um, for instance, uh, when you don't have any good connections with people, that's hell. You're lonely and achy when you don't have your attachments that help you. You don't have the friends that you'd like. Um, on the other end of the spectrum, it's hell if you're overtaken by relationships and you just are immersed all the time and you just can't get a- away from them and you uh, just are burned out. Uh, another kind of hell, you're in a relationship, but you never ask uh, or push for anything that you want, so you just kind of ride along and suffer through and hope that it gets better kind of like drifting down a river but not using a paddle and hoping the currents go in a good direction because you don't have much assertiveness that you use. Um, Or, on the other hand, you're in relationships, but you never say no, Uh, never impose limits on on unwanted requests from other people or demands from other people. Um, And so you just end up accommodating or giving in, uh, twisting yourself into a pretzel in order to meet the needs of other people. And uh, it isn't—it isn't really what you deeply want inside, but you, you don't really have, feel you have much choice to, other than to be controlled, and that it's worse to be uh, hurt or violated. Um, or you're in relationships, but um, but you act very domineering or controlling uh, as a way to regulate your feelings in a relationship, and uh, you you act demanding and aggressive and. Maybe you're highly reactive and defensive and all those things. And so you're in relationships and you're not just saying, uh, you're not just riding along, but on the other hand, you're creating a ton of turmoil that comes back to you. Um, so there's so many versions of this and um, I've really been paying attention to relationship stuff in the past week, maybe more than usual because of this podcast. And just noticing it never stops uh, unless you're alone for a good while but um, I'm just thinking I went to a meditation uh, group last night and even there there's a lot of relationship encounters before and during and after and uh, everywhere so uh, it's really you know and then there's emails and texts uh, and then there's imagine you know imaginary relationships like I have this relationship with you um, that's strange and uh, and it just never stops, and you're always trying to find the balance. Should I say no? Um, should I ask for something? Um, no, I better not ask for something. I don't want to hurt this guy's feelings, or I don't want to be rejected. And it's just, you know, you're always on a balancing act in these things. And some you handle automatically, and you just have done it your whole life, and it works fine. And other times you handle things automatically. That's your go-to position, and it doesn't work. Um, and then you're and 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 it's hard to make the adjustments sometimes. So here's the point of doing of listening to this podcast, uh, learning these skills. Uh, and by the way, these skills are not just for people who are doing DBT or practicing DBT, learning DBT. 
these skills are my, this podcast is meant to kind of bring these out of the DBT place into the world. So um, I'm hoping that I don't use too much lingo that turns everybody off um, because they don't feel like uh, they're included. Um, but the idea of of having this way of having an organized way to look at it, having a protocol, having a kind of set of guidelines to look at is that it can benefit us if we, you might, if you picture yourself in relationship encounters or one that's coming up or one that you're going through, if you can elevate yourself, so to speak, above the encounter and look down and see, oh, what am I doing here? Or what am I going to do here? What is my priority here? What are my conflicting priorities here? How am I going to sort these out? Um, what's, what would be a skillful way to balance the fact that I care a lot about this relationship, but I also want to ask this person something that I know is going to make them upset? I mean, how, what skills do I use? Because there are skills to use. There are ways to look at it from above, and that's what I'm teaching. I certainly don't teach these skills or teach protocols or teach guidelines with some naive point of view that that solves everything, that gives you all the tools you need. I mean, relationship stuff is huge and so complex, but it gives you a, a whole way of looking at it and a bunch of tools to use um, if they can come in handy for you. And sometimes those tools override what your default typical thing to do is in relationships, and you can try out doing things in a different way. You can practice doing things in a different way. So that's the idea of doing these. Um, let's see. I'm not sure what I want. I, I want you know. All right. Two minute summary of what I went over last week to head into this week with. There are these relationship skills, these tools to use in encounters with people when you're saying no or asking for what you want or trying to work out a conflict in a relationship. There are these very specific things that can be used in a thousand different ways. That's part of what makes it complex. But I want to teach you these things. Um, to be successful in using them more often than not, not only do you need to know these skills, but there's these foundations that you're standing upon that I went over last time. Mindfulness. I went over four things last time. I mean, you might not know that if you listened because it might have just seemed like a long run-on sentence, but to get out of the muck and tell you there were four things. One is the extremely important role of mindfulness when it comes to managing relationships, that if you are not mindful, not aware, not observing in a way that's accurate, objective, non-judgmental, if you're not doing that, uh, about another person with whom you're interacting and or you're not doing that about yourself in that interaction, knowing what is going on with you and not aware of what's going on in the interaction, what direction it's going, what tone it's taking. If you lack mindfulness of relationship um, situations, when you're in them or leading into them or thinking about them, it will undermine any skills that you can be taught. Second, in another set of DBT skills, the distress tolerance skills, there are reality acceptance skills. If you 
lack sufficient capacity to see reality as it is and to accept it as it is, painful as it may be, and to really get your mind around and say, well, you know, I don't like this, but this is. If you don't have much of that capacity to accept reality as it is and settle in around it and figure out what to do, it will undermine any relationship skills you use. So these skills are built on top of the capacity to accept reality. Third, these skills are built on top of another capacity in distress tolerance module, which is the capacity to know what to do and to have various things to do when you're in such high levels of distress that that distress is going to drive you down the road of doing something that it doesn't work very well, that's very problematic, that's total withdrawal, that's an attack, that's, that's a problematic judgmental behavior towards somebody else that's harmful to yourself in some other way and taking yourself out of the relationship game altogether. I mean, in other words, you've got to have these things, this toolbox of things to do when your distress goes up and you can't be in relationships very long without there being periods of distress if it's a relationship that matters. Uh, fourth thing that forms a foundation on which you use these skills the capacity to regulate your emotions, to know what your emotions are, to feel your emotions, to experience them in your mind and in your body, sometimes to name them um, and navigate through them, um, to take care of yourself so that your emotions are more likely to be, you know, more positive or more stable or more or you're more, more resilient, uh, to be able to ride with the waves of your emotions without having to derail that you just go up and down and in and out with different emotions and you learn to tolerate that in the skills of emotion regulation um, and also you learn to go against the tendencies the urges that your emotions are pushing you to do you know because if you just go down the road of where your emotions are pushing you to do sometimes it'll work well but other times it could be catastrophic so you need to be able to have a, a relationship with your emotions in order to have relationships with other people. So that's another foundation. And then finally, those are four things, right? Mindfulness, reality acceptance, uh, having things to do when you're in high distress, and uh, coming to, to a relationship with your emotions that's good. So then what, and then heading into a relationship encounter requires sorting out what your priorities are. And sometimes you don't, of course you can't do that with every single thing that comes up, but there are certain encounters you might decide, I better figure this out. This is a tricky one. This is a tough one. This is one where I know I'm going to be in conflict and things like that. So that's the other thing is figure out, and I started to give, I gave you the scheme last week for that in DBT, which is to break down your current relationship encounter that's coming up or that you're going through or looking back on a previous one and uh, deconstructing it around knowing what the objective was that you were after or are after or will be after, the specific objective you want to get out of an encounter to keep your eye on the priority on the relationship and how you want the relationship to be post-encounter, and to keep your eye on your self-respect and how you want your self-respect to be post-encounter. These are unbelievably simple and helpful, and when you get down to it, resolving them is not simple. 
I'm going to give, I'm going to teach mostly from examples today once I, I get past this intro. Um, and, uh, because you're often trying to figure out, uh, uh oh, I really, I really don't want to offend this person, but I really don't want to say yes to what they're asking. And therefore I'm caught between two priorities, my objective to say no and the relationship priority to kind of keep, to, to keep our relationship decent and reciprocal. And so that can be really hard to do, and sometimes you can't totally do it. And so how do you decide that, and then how do you navigate that? So I'm hoping through some examples. It's teaching this by just principles and talking about it, I think, isn't this helpful. So let me try to use some examples. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm, the first example I'm going to use, and by the way, just to orient you to where we are in the podcast, I'm going to be doing one more week of relationship skills which by no means means that I will have covered all of the relationship tools and skills in DBT. I'll have covered, I think, some of the core ones and then a few more. But um, there are more. So I encourage you always to think of this podcast not as a substitute for a manual or a book or uh, a course or whatever, learning the whole thing. Um, all right. All right. So I'm, I guess of the different examples I want to tell you, I want to tell you first a kind of interesting one um, that is a, uh, a story that actually when it happened, I mean, it's a real story. Uh, when it happened I, years ago, I did write it, uh, put it out on the Internet on a, as a story in, the P, in a DBT listserv, but obviously many of you who have nothing to do with that or don't, aren't on that wouldn't have known that. And also I've, I've explained it in some trainings I've done. So if you already know this story, you can stop and go get yourself some orange juice in your refrigerator or something like that, <laughs> whatever you do. Okay, here's the story. Um, the... Uh, um, I was doing a training in uh, Los Angeles. I also, by the way, I've told this story recently, I think, at a training, and I can't help but think when I start telling this that I've told it to you on this. And so please, please forgive me if I have told you in a recent podcast. Uh, you know, I do a lot of training, and so I know I told this somewhere. I don't think I would have had a reason to tell it here. So anyway, I was at a training in Los Angeles. I was teaching DBT skills, of all things, a two-day workshop. Um, and after the first day, uh, some the psychologists who invited me uh, hosted me and a couple other people to go out to dinner. And so there were about six uh, of them and myself, and we went to this cool little restaurant they picked in um, along the beach in, I don't know, one of the little towns of Los Angeles, like Venice or something. And it was at a little Italian restaurant. The waiters spoke Italian. It was really good food. I mean, they clearly knew what they were doing in picking this restaurant. We're sitting there around a circular table in sort of the middle of the restaurant. And there's a woman to my right who is a psychologist uh, who is, has a fiancé. And she learns that I am a basketball freak. And she starts saying, oh, my God, you know, my, my fiancé, who was a businessman, but now he recently switched to what his real love is. He's coaching high school basketball. Probably a big drop in income, but probably a big increase in life satisfaction for him. <laughs> probably increased her anxiety. 
but and she was not somebody who knew anything about but she was like totally basketball naive uh, but what she loved about him among other things was that he was coaching at a high school that had very kids with very few resources like they were really poor there were kids that could not afford basketball shoes that was at high school and a team mostly hispanic some black and um and almost everybody poor and they did not have um they couldn't afford taking bus rides to their games and they uh could barely afford uniforms and they didn't have many basketballs and yet the spirit of her fiance and from her point of view the spirit of the kids was very high so she admired him thought he was doing great but thought it was a lot of adversity so she's telling me about that i thought it's a pretty cool story and then to my left this other woman who's a psychologist looks across our table directly across our table straight ahead and in the corner there's a table uh sort of in the dark a little more in the dark than us kind of off to the off to the corner and and she says to me isn't that Phil Jackson sitting at that table now many of you might not know who Phil Jackson is so he was uh for years the coach of the Los Angeles Lakers uh NBA basketball team before that he was the coach for the Chicago Bulls when Michael Jordan was there so he coached Michael Jordan he coached Kobe Bryant and Shaq O'Neal and he won more NBA championships than anybody in history and he was probably at that point in time the most famous coach in the world in basketball. He also by the way was uh had studied a lot of Zen and wrote a book about Zen and basketball called Hoop Dreams and used to teach a workshop every year in New York uh of of a basket Zen and basketball. So very cool guy. I always thought he was very cool. He was annoying to watch as a coach sometimes because he was so petulant, but he was brilliant and 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 interesting and smart and he was one of the people in the world athletically that I would have loved to sit down with and there he was. So this psychologist sees him says, "Isn't that Phil Jackson?" I look over and say, "Oh my god, it absolutely is." It's hard to mistake him if you know what he looks like because he's also about almost 7 feet tall. And at the table's another guy almost 7 feet tall who play who was a general manager for the Lakers and used to play for the Lakers Kurt Rambus and also at the table next to Phil Jackson was his his fiance at the time who was the owner of the Los Angeles Lakers and was a billionaire. And then there were three other people at their table and the the psychologists at our table start <laughs> they start making nuts of themselves by getting up and taking photographs of each other with Phil Jackson in the background as if he doesn't know what's going on um and uh they're giggling and talking and so then the one next to me to my right whose fiance coaches says to me oh charlie don't you think i should go over and that's the lakers my my fiance's high school team is located right next to where the Lakers play. Like, you know, on one side of a wall there's these people who make millions and millions of dollars a year that's owned by someone who's a billionaire, and on the other side of the wall are people who can't afford sneakers. Don't you think I should go ask him if they can give some resources somehow to my fiance's team? I loved her spirit but I said absolutely not. I mean, this man Phil Jackson is probably hit upon several times per day 
by people seeking autographs or other things or favors, and he's, he's that kind of level of celebrity in the sports world. So no, you absolutely shouldn't interrupt. They look like they're having a perfectly nice time. She says, yeah, but, and she could not let it go, which I also admired. She said, yeah, but you're, you know, you're an expert in interpersonal skills. You taught them today. Don't you think we should use the skills and I should go over and ask for money for, or something for supplies? I said, no, I really don't think you should. And she said, well, then what should we do? And I forget who said it, but someone at the table said, why don't you write him a letter? And maybe you can deliver it to him before we leave. She said, that's a great idea. So she gets out this uh, yellow scrawl pad and a pen, and she starts to put a letter together with the help of everyone at the table. It became a table-wide project to write a letter to Phil Jackson asking for resources for the high school basketball team. And, um, and she's using specifically the skills that I'm going to be referring to, a dear man skills. Uh, for for getting your objective. So I'm going to teach them through this example and then three or four more examples. So um, she writes this out with consultation and with, with, with me and with the others, and then she rewrites it and tries to get a good version of it. And in preparing for today, I, I looked for it on my phone because she had me take a picture of it. She put it down on the floor and said, would you take a picture of it? So I knew it was in my photographs in my phone, uh, but... And it was years ago, and it, I couldn't find it. So, but I more or less remember what she wrote. So here's, I wrote down what I, best I can do to remember it. Here's what she was doing. Um, Mr. Jackson, I sincerely appreciate that you're taking the time to read this, and I apologize for any intrusion. My fiancé is a basketball coach at such and such high school, which is close to where the Lakers play basketball. His players are, for the most part, Hispanic and black and came from very poor families. Many of them don't have basketball shoes, and the team can't afford typical uniforms or many basketballs or a bus for travel to games. But their spirit is very high. I love my fiancé, and he has such love for these players. To get to the point... Given that the Lakers are nearly next door and that the basketball resources the Lakers have are so amazing... I just wonder if um, there's any way that the Lakers could be a support or assistance to my fiancé and these kids. Thank you again for reading and considering this. My fiancé's name, fiance name is such and such. He's a varsity basketball coach at such and such high school. The phone number there is such and such, and you can get a message to him through the athletic director. His email is blah, blah, blah. Thank you so much. So she wrote this out. She was pleased with it. We were pleased with it. She, combined, you know, she really thought about what's her highest priority, and she decided it was the objective to get resources for the team. And her second highest priority was the relationship uh, with Phil Jackson, but only in a very narrow way just in that she didn't want him to be too offended or annoyed to be willing to consider the objective. And then there was the self-respect priority, and she felt like her, she would have self-respect if she stuck to her values of being uh, uh, straightforward and direct and courageous. 
um, and also supporting uh, these kids that don't have any resources and her fiance to whom she's going to be married. So that was how she sorted it out. And then, and then she used these skills that include the dear man skills. What are the dear man skills here? Well, D-E-A-R, each one is a guideline, and then M-A-N, each one is a guideline. So what, let's start with the M-A-N. They're different. The D-E-A-R are things that you do, and the M-A-N is sort of more about uh, how you handle it as you do it. So the M is mindfully, to be mindful. And that means really in this, when you're being mindful in this way interpersonally, it means to stay focused on your objective, to stick to it because often you will get derailed. Things from inside your own mind will derail you. Things that come from the other person will derail you. When you're writing a letter, of course, you could get derailed by what you think is going to come from the other person. So it's really, to be mindful means to be stay focused on your objective, to be what Linehan calls something like a broken record back in the days when we had records. Um, where you just keep repeating the same thing. And if somebody counterattacks you or attacks you back or something, you kind of ignore the attack and just go back to what your objective is again and again. So that's being mindful. What about a, P a for appearance? That really has to do with your tact, your self-presentation, you, your appearance, if you're doing it in person, of course, is, you know, you're making eye contact, you, you use some degree of poise, uh, you act as if you're somebody who has a right to say what you're saying, but also as if you care about the other person. Um, and so it has to do with just your whole sort of presentation, your social skill set, you might say. And N is negotiate, which is in the background, whatever you're pushing for as your objective, it can be helpful if you know that you're willing to negotiate to some bottom line so that uh, there's some place to go if, um, if you run into a complete brick wall, you can then see if you can negotiate. So that's M-A-N. Remember those. If you don't already know those, you could write them down or just remember them. Now the DEAR, D-E-A-R. This is, these are put in this order of D, E, A, and R mainly because that's how you spell the thing that helps you remember these skills, dear. But actually, usually you start with R. And R is just huge. R is the motor that makes the whole thing work. It's called reinforce. And so, and what that means is you want to reinforce the other person for being willing to go with you uh, to meet your objective, to change their behavior, to, uh, to go along with a request. Or if you're saying no to somebody, because the same thing applies, the reinforce is to reinforce them um, to, uh, to take no for an answer. And it often means that you're, you're sort of highlighting common ground between you and the other person it often means that you're highlighting that you care about the other person and you care about um, how this goes with them. Um, it's really subtle. Re you can reinforce with your eyes in how when you're talking to somebody. You can reinforce with the tone of your voice. You can reinforce with the position of your body. You can reinforce with the content of what you say. It isn't all just dependent on what you say. It's kind of like being 
being just kind of like there and and uh, doing acting in a way that works for the other person, and then it all. But it but it's also you know to some degree genuine. So you're not just totally seeming like you're buttering somebody up, but it has some of that quality. So the reinforce comes first, and I would say in this um, young woman's reinforcement of Phil Jackson, she when she says, I sincerely appreciate your taking the time to read this, she's reinforcing him for being willing to read it. And I apologize for any intrusion. She's indicating that she gets it, that she's intruding. Uh, and then she tries to hook him by getting him interested in basketball at a high school level with kids that hardly have anything. So she's trying to appeal to something in him that she doesn't know whether that'll work with him. Um, and that they have very high spirit for basketball. And just the whole way of presenting. She actually asked me at a point, do you think, do you think Charlie, that you should go ask him for this or you should write this? And I said, actually, I don't think so because you are so naive. I mean, you're, and I don't mean that negatively. I mean, you don't care about basketball. You have no history of thinking about Phil Jackson. If I go try to even talk to him, I'm going to fall all over myself because I've thought for years, wouldn't it be great to talk to Phil Jackson? You really don't care about that. You're much more lovely. You care about your fiance. You care about these kids. You care about these kids playing basketball. So, no, I actually think that you would be better at this. Um, so you really think at the beginning, how am I going to reinforce the other person? Um, and, uh, and then you move on. So that's reinforce. And usually you use reinforce at the beginning and throughout an encounter with somebody where you're asking them for something, for some behavioral change. Um, think about how you reinforce a partner or a spouse or a child uh, or somebody you're really close to to undergo a behavioral change, to do something different that you're requesting. There's something that annoys you about them or something that you want them to do for you or something you just want them to do. And so you might want to not just be bluntly telling them that. You might want to be thinking about, you know, what would get them interested in being willing to even consider doing what I'm asking, especially if it's an old, sore area of a relationship. Now, the D. The D stands for describe. So describe is when now you've got reinforcement going in whatever way you're doing it. And you describe your situation, the situation that's going to give rise to your request. And you try to be factual and objective. This is describing reality. This isn't giving your opinion and feelings. There's a place for that later. So you just describe. So in the one that we were doing, um, she, she said in the letter, to get to the point, given that the Lakers are nearly next door and that the basketball resources are so amazing there, uh, I just wonder if there's any way that the Lakers would be of assistance. So she's, she's moving quickly through describing the situation. And that was a conscious choice because the overall communication she and the table decided had to be brief, as brief as possible to not lose his interest or to burn him out, you know, on, on this. I mean, but, but to put something that was really meaningful and make it concise. So, um, you know, so she describes the situation enough so he gets the picture. And then she has already indicated that she has, she cares about this. She has an opinion about this. She has feelings because the next letter is E. So D is to describe the situation objectively. 
E is then to insert your own feelings and opinions so that the other person knows it actually matters to you. You're not just delivering a sort of flat-out objective request with no real feelings or opinion attached to it. You actually care about it. So you indicate, and she already did in the earlier part of her letter, and then she, um, you know, she also reinforces him by saying thanks again for reading and considering this and then gives the detailed information of how to contact the fiancé if he can do anything. So she really thought of everything. She put it in there. She organized it around D-E-A. A is to assert yourself. A for assert. Uh, in this case, A stands for ask because she's asking for something. She's asking for something, and she had to think about this. When you ask for something, it helps the more specific you are about what you're asking, so you're not just asking something in general. And she's asking for something that she doesn't know exactly what form it'll take, so it has to be a little general. She can't say, could you send him a basketball? You know, could you write a check for $1,000? Um, so she says, can you help with resources? And so there is, you know, there's definitely an ask there, if he doesn't follow through, then it's certainly going to feel like, oh, I didn't get my objective. Okay, so so she writes this, and then she says, uh, okay, should I should I go? Uh, should how should I give it to him? So at the table, the idea comes up. Well, can you ask one of the our waiter if he could just deliver it when we leave? And so she asks the waiter. And the waiter, speaking broken English and Italian, uh, says, oh, no, 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 no. We know, no, no. Mr. Jackson is a really important customer for us. He comes here frequently, and people always ask him for autographs, and he hates that. And so, no, we won't be any part of that. Um, so it comes, it comes back to her, like what to do. She says, well, Charlie, should you hand this? To, should you take this to their table? I said, well, you know, and I, for the reason I said before, I said, actually, I think, I think it would be more appealing to them or him if you did. Um, you know, you're not sucking up to him because you want to know and want his autograph. So, um, she, uh, so she decides she'll do it, but then uh, once it gets concrete, she gets really anxious and decides, oh my God, I can't really do this. She's, I'm going to be humiliated. He clearly isn't going to want this. And what am I going to do? Stand there at the table and interrupt their entire dinner? And it looked like they had a birthday cake for somebody. And so, oh my God, it was a real problem. Um, and she wavered back and forth, and we were about ready to leave. We were paying the check, and during which she said, you know, I really can't do this. And then one of the other women at the table, who's one of her best friends, says, you know, you've come this far, you have to do this. And this is where it can really help to have a friend push you because she says, you have to do this. I mean, when your fiancé hears what you have done, I mean, it's going to seal the marriage. It's like, this is fabulous. So you've got to do this. Um, I'll help I'll help in whatever way I can. I'm cheerleading for you. And she then she decides, all right, she says, what's the worst thing that could happen? I guess I could get really humiliated. But I don't even know these people, and it doesn't really matter to me in the long run. So, all right, you're right. I'm going to do this for my fiancé. So we get up. We, we're heading out the door, and she goes to the table. So we don't get to see it. So she tells us the account in the parking lot afterwards. She comes out, and she says what happened was she stood at the table 
Oh, we also talked with her. She, she scripted in advance how she would ask him to accept the letter. Um, so, and she wanted to make it, and we coached her to make it very concise so it was the least interruption possible. Appeal to him and then just see what happened. And so what she was going to say, and what I think she did say, is something like the following. She stood at their table, and apparently there was a pause. They continued to talk for a while, and she felt really awkward, but then she waited, and then they stopped, and they looked up at her, and she looked at Phil Jackson. She says, Mr. Jackson, I am so sorry to interrupt your dinner. I have, uh, I have written something out here for you to read because I, I thought that way of doing this would interrupt you the least. Um, and take the least amount of your time. And then she looks at him, right at him in the eye, and she says, it would mean a lot to me if you were to read it. Uh, would you be willing to accept the note? And she held it out, and he stonewalled her. He looked at her, as she said. <laughs> it looked, seemed like it took forever. And then he finally put his hand out, and he said, bye-bye. And then he took the letter. And he looked like he sort of, slid it under his uh, placemat or his plate or something like that. So she came out in the parking lot, and we were all high-fiving and yelling and thought this was the greatest thing, you know, ever. And it was so cool, you know. And in the next day, the second day of the workshop, she, I had her come up in the front of a two or two or 300 people and, and go over the encounter, and we used it to teach the dear man skills. Um, and guess what happened? Just a short follow-up. Uh, Friday night, that was a that was a Thursday night. Then I taught on Friday. I was at my hotel on Friday night. I was going to fly back Saturday morning to the East Coast. And that night, um, I got a phone call at the hotel, and it was from her. And she said, guess what happened today? At the high school, when my fiancé was with the team in the afternoon coaching, the athletic director came in and said, you have a call from the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, oh my God! He did. He, his fiance had told him what he she had done, but he had no expectation it would go anywhere. So here's this phone call. He gets on the phone, and this guy says, "Look, I'm so and so from the Los Angeles Laker organization, and I wonder would you would you be willing to uh, meet with me if I came over to your school and met with you and your athletic director on Tuesday?" And he said, "Sure." And they came over, this guy, I mean, this one man came over who's sort of a middle manager but also a former coach and loves basketball. And um, he offered several things to the team. He said, um, first of all, I'd like to offer to be an assistant coach if you want another adult on the floor uh, for the next two years. Uh, whatever is your coaching style, I'll go with it. Whatever is your choices, I'll go with it. And, uh, you know, but I, it might, sometimes it helps to have another coach on the floor to help the kids. Uh, secondly, he said the team was going to um, uh, send players over once in a while in the coming year during their basketball practices. A player from the Lakers would show up now and then in order to kind of lead the team through some drills and to, to do some coaching and hang out with them, which is pretty amazing. Um, third, they were going to get tickets to some games of the Lakers. Fourth, they were going to be given a basketball, a new, a new NBA basketball with signatures of all the Lakers on it that they could auction off or they could sell. They could try to get money for it if they want. 
they were going to get a, a, a genuine NBA jersey uh, of Kobe Bryant with his signature on it, and they could do what they want with that also. They could sell it if they want or auction it. And finally, there were two players on the Lakers that had grown up in Los Angeles, and they assigned those two players would be assigned to, out of their own personal funds, to outfit the team with uniforms and shoes and balls and all the stuff you need to really have a high-quality uh, equipment and stuff. And so um, it was just unbelievable, just unbelievable. Um, and... Uh, and I learned out it the next week because she called me and then actually her fiance wanted to have a consultation with me to talk about dealing with this and dealing with the assistant coach because he was worried about having another coach on the floor, especially someone who knew more than him. He just didn't want to have his team taken over by someone else. Um, and they, by the way, they sold the basketball online on an auction for $5,000 that they then had for the team. And they sold Kobe Bryant's jersey for $5,000, which they had for the team. And the funniest thing of all is that the jersey was purchased by an elderly Mexican woman who knew almost nothing about basketball. But she saw this thing online and thought it was just the greatest story about these kids and that, and that she wanted to help out. Um, so she bought this uh, jersey, which she knew nothing about who Kobe Bryant was. <laughs> it was like, so it's a, such a great story. And I, I thought the, not the, the, the story sort of says, uh, look what you can do if you have uh, dear man skills. So anyway, I, that took a long time to tell you. I'm so sorry because um, I wanted to cover a lot of, a lot of examples. Um, but, you know, a couple examples of, done well is probably better than a lot of examples done less well. And I think, so you hear the dear man skills there. Dear man, describe, express, assert, uh, reinforce, mindfully, uh, focus, keeping your appearance uh, good and, uh, and being willing to negotiate. Um, the great package of skills. Now, there's these other two packages, right? There's the give skills. Give are the skills for when you want to main, if you're, if keeping a good relationship is a high priority and you're dealing with, um, an objective that might cause a little trouble, lead to a little conflict, the give skills are really important to use and you weave them in from the very beginning. There isn't any one way you weave them in, as you'll hear. One is to be gentle. Like, don't come across like, you know, you're, you're gonna demand and push and scrape and, uh, and using a stick instead of a carrot. I mean, you be gentle with the person. Uh, the I in give is for showing interest in the other person. I think even, uh, this woman did this in the way she wrote the letter to Phil Jackson. She, even though she was intruding, she wrecked, she acknowledged she was intruding and she tried, showed interest in the fact that he was at dinner and she didn't want to intrude. And there's, uh, so showing interest in the other person is really important when you're asking for what you want. There's often this tension between you're asking for something or saying no to somebody. They don't like it, but you show interest in their experience and what matters to them and that is going to help. That may help with your objective too. 
um, then the V in give is validate. That also is part of showing interest in another person, but it's sort of one step beyond showing interest. It's really um, indicating that you understand where the other person's coming from and how this request might impact them. So saying, you know, I'm sorry to interrupt and I don't mean to intrude is a touch of validating. It's like taking, it's indicating to the other person, I am aware of the position you're in as I give you this. Um, that's a little touch of it. You do a lot more validation in some other situations. Um, and it's also inhibiting to just be writing something. And E stands for easy manner. You act in a way that's kind of easy. You know, don't get too uptight, too tense, because that makes the other person uptight and tense, makes the other person more likely to become defensive. So you just try to keep it chill. Um, and then there's the skills, the set of skills for maintaining your self-respect. And they go to the uh, word FAST, the acronym of FAST, F-A-S-T. So the F is being fair. You want to be fair to yourself and fair to the other person. You want to come across as, look, I'm not trying to pull a trick here. I'm not trying to totally dominate. I'm trying to ask something. I'm trying to be fair about it, even if I, I know that it's not going to be easy for you to, uh, to go along with this. Um, the A is the, stands for the word apologies. And that means not to excessively apologize. Don't apologize like crazy. Uh, to apologize a lot, to apologize more than is warranted, just because you're worried about the impact, it sort of puts you in a one-down position, and your brain recognizes that you're apologizing a lot. Your brain recognizes that you're in a one-down position, and you kind of assume a one-down position when you apologize too much. If an apology is warranted, apologize once and then move on. Um, that's better for your self-respect. So that F is to be fair. The A is no excessive apologies. The S is sticking to your values. In different situations, different values are relevant. So her values in this situation were, for instance, to be uh, courageous, to be direct, to, uh, to ally with her fiancé and with kids that almost have nothing. And so all of those values were in sync with who she was. So pursuing this, whether she gets it or not, uh, can enhance her self-respect. And the last one, the T in F-A-S-T, is to be truthful. You know, you know, we sometimes do bend the truth or even break the truth to try to get our objective or to try to not offend a relationship. We hide things. We, yeah, we, we hide things so that we don't upset someone else or so that we get our objective. And while those may work in the moment, they also can have a tendency to make you feel like you, you know, you, you used dirty methods and it reduces your self-respect. So aren't these fantastic? If you haven't heard them before, it's so fantastic, step one, to figure out what's your priority going to be between these three priorities and actually think it through because um, they really do come in conflict in tough situations and even in mildly tough situations. And then to secondly, to have this dear man set of skills 
that, that you actually can write out as a script in advance of an encounter, or you can just sort of think about. I mean, or you can follow some of them and not others, but they do give you some really nice guidelines. And then if you want to really soften the encounter and indicate your interest in the other person and your, and your concern about the relationship, even if you're pushing somebody to go to the edge of what they tolerate, um, if you do it in a way that shows interest in them and validation for their reaction and validation for what position it puts them in, and do it in a kind of easy, slow-paced way where actually you could say, you know, you don't need to answer me right now. And then to be willing to negotiate um, what's going on. Um, all of these things together have just served me extremely well. Um, and, oh gosh, so many examples I wanted to give. Uh, this is probably an example of me. I got, I, I got an email from somebody. I, I've been getting some emails from people about the podcast. And uh, generally, they're very um, appreciative emails. And I really appreciate them. I mean, I really learned that actually these podcasts, even though I started out mainly just talking to myself on these, actually are things that are helping some people with their lives. And then it's kind of thrilling. This guy wrote me an email um, that said, uh, to paraphrase, said, you know, uh, somebody asked me to listen to this, and I'm giving you the, I'm writing you about it because I have, I cannot understand why anyone would ever listen to this. I cannot understand why somebody who's already confused wouldn't just get more confused hearing you going on and on and on talking. I felt really bad when I got this. I felt uh, uh, waves of reactions. Um, one was I just felt like, oh my God, really? And uh, in some ways I thought it was almost a joke. But clearly, this wasn't a joke. Um, this person mentioned his credentials. He's been a therapist for a lot of years. And I thought, oh, my God. Um, and it also was painful because at the same time, I realized that I sometimes have the same criticism myself. I hear myself talking after 30 minutes or something. I say, oh, my God, who would ever listen to this? I mean, who would go, who would listen to me go on and on and on? Of course, the problem is if you do a one-hour podcast, what else are you going to do? I mean, it's it's going on and on and on. I mean, I wouldn't be doing that if I was sitting opposite someone. Though, actually, I've gotten that critique occasionally in my life with my wife, who will say, when we're in a social occasion afterwards, she'll say, you know, you really sometimes talk too much. I think, oh, shit, I feel bad about that. So I thought he was on to something, but also he did it in a nasty way that sort of elicited some defensiveness and, and made me upset. I wrote him back after I sort of let it settle down. Um, I sort of let myself be mindful. And I thought about what my highest priority was. And uh, I sort of gave, gave the whole encounter some thought before I got back to him. Then I just wrote one sentence back. I think it, to paraphrase it, I wrote something like, you know, I sometimes wonder the same thing myself. And I did not want to get in uh, to, this was an attack on me. And in, in, in the mindfulness, in the Dear man skills, the mind, the M, ignore attacks. Um, in this case, I, I, because if you attack back or if you get defensive, you're engaging at that same level that the person's coming in at, and that's, that'll become the content of your interaction. 
So I did not want to get down into that. I just wanted to respond to him in a way. I didn't want to totally, I, I didn't feel I had to respond to him. But anyway, I'm telling you that because I'm just hearing myself go on and uh, didn't cover as many examples as I wanted. So I just want to do one more example, and it's going to use Dear Man Give Fast with you. And I forecasted it last week, or I forecast it. I don't know if the past tense of forecast is forecasted or forecast. <laughs> I'll have to look that up. Um, so here's the thing. I've been talking to you. I'll talk to, I'll talk to you as if you've been hanging in there with me since I started in about October 2017. I've been talking on this podcast for a long time, and I've gotten some feedback over time. I've gotten more in the past six months by far than any time before. And every time I get feedback, I really appreciate it. It means a lot to me. You may just think you're sending an email and you haven't done it and you feel like sometimes people have written and said, I'm sorry, I haven't written. I don't, you don't need to be sorry at all. Uh, I appreciate anything you write, one line, one sentence, practically one word. It gives me a point out there to imagine while I'm talking. And it also gives me a little direction about some ideas, and I take them all very seriously. And so um, I just want you to know, uh, it's strange to say this since I can't see you and I don't know who you are, that, you, you know, strangely enough, while I didn't start the podcast with this in mind very much, uh, you've become important to me. And in, 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 and, and I want to do a good job on the podcast in exploring things and talking about things that are tools that actually help people who get into hell. And so I want some, uh, I, I, I like the idea that somehow we're in a joint enterprise of doing that. And you're giving me information that helps me get, be on target. And you're giving me ideas if you want. And you're adding to it. And, you're, and sometimes people have given me suggestions about who to interview on this or what directions to go. I haven't been able to go on all of those directions, but I've taken all of them seriously and they still sit there with me. Um, so I, 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 I'm just telling you that that's the situation. It means a great deal to me. I'd like... Um, I'd like, as I said at the end of the last podcast, this is basically a wind-up and a pitch to say I'd like things to be more reciprocal in that I'd like to hear things from you. And I don't know the best way to do that. So I am asking you, this is the A in my dear man with you, um, I'm asking you for, for suggestions of how to have that happen. One suggestion is just stick with getting an email now and then. Another suggestion, which which is fine. Another suggestion would be, um, I already got one suggestion from last time, uh, to maybe once a month have a Zoom session, meaning anybody anywhere in the world could get on their computer and uh, go in, um, and it won't be the same as listening to a podcast, but you'll get online and see me, and possibly I'd see you, and uh, that I, you would, we'd have an open forum where people can, uh, I can talk to you and you can talk to me and have an exchange. Um, and we could use that in various ways, but to set up a Zoom session that is just as free as doing the podcast. Um, 
And because Perry Hoffman, who's the head of uh, National Education Alliance for Borderline Personality Disorder, and is one of the people who helps me do this and who suggested it from the beginning, Perry said that, you know, NEABPD has already a large Zoom account and we could use that. So that's another option. There may be other options that have to do with technological things that I don't know much about because I actually don't have a broad knowledge of of all the social media and technological ways to to have this kind of reciprocity. Maybe there's a Facebook thing to do uh, or something else. Um, so, And I also even thought of maybe I should do a live workshop once in a while or whatever you'd call it, a conference, a to hell and back conference, and people could come. And we'd agree on some topics, or I would uh, talk about certain pre- determine topics and people be able to uh, interact and do do something like that. So specifically right now, I am asking you to give me feedback about ideas for that. And you can send them to my email address, which is uh, the letter C dot Robert, R-O-B-E-R-T dot Swenson, S-W-E-N-S-O-N at Gmail dot com okay and also turns out if you are able to write me through my um, website uh, charlieswenson.com I also receive those Um, uh, also yeah I don't think Twitter would play any role in this except make announcements and things I do have a Twitter account now but I don't I haven't really started using it at all so I don't even know what role that would play. So I am asking you for input, suggestions about how to, um, in a way, make this uh, more likely to uh, hit the target, to meet the needs uh, that you have. And I'm assuming when I say you, that some of you are people who uh, go in and out of hell in your own lives and are trying to get uh, tools to deal with that. And others of you are probably listening because you are family members of people who go into hell and you've got other people or practitioners that are trying to help people. So I'm, I'm open to hearing from everybody and anybody about these things. And when I next talk, I'll go over any suggestions uh, and take this very seriously. And if we, and, and we could do any of the things I said above, or we could try something else. So let me know what you think. There's three minutes left. So I just want you to notice that I used reinforce at the beginning of that by reinforcing you by talking about how much uh, I appreciate you and how you've come to mean something a lot to me uh, in doing these podcasts, which I didn't fully anticipate at the beginning. And so that's a reinforce and also that it would mean a lot to me to try to make this even more helpful if it's helpful for some of you. Uh, And so I'm open to suggestions. So I'm hoping that that's a good reinforcer. And D was to describe the situation. I think I described the situation that we're in, uh, that I'm in, and that you reciprocally are in um, if you choose to take up the challenge. Uh, The A was the ask, was the assert, was to ask you to give me ideas uh, about how to make this work. And uh, so that's the D. And the E was uh, to express my feelings about it and my opinions about it, which I think you got. And I tried to be mindful while I did it and stay on track, even though my mind goes in a thousand directions sometimes. Just stay with this request. 
and uh, that would be the M, and I uh, didn't hear any attacks, but actually when you're talking to a phone, you can imagine attacks, um, and I do sometimes. Um, and the uh, A is really to treat you respectfully and to treat myself respectfully and sort of have a good bearing about all this and to be willing to negotiate. So that's the dear man. I hope I've been gentle and interested in you and validate your position and with a relatively easy manner and uh, and be fair, the fast skills, be fair with you uh, and me and not excessively apologize for making this ask uh, to stick to my values about what matters to me about all this, which I'm trying to do. And to be truthful with you, and be, and which includes a certain amount of self-disclosure with people that I don't even know. So that's a little awkward, but I, I still, I still believe in doing that, and uh, and so it enhances my self-respect to try to do that as long as I don't tell things that I feel terrible about later. Okay, it is time to stop. It's been a full hour of me blathering and blathering, so on and on. <laughs> so I'm going to stop now. You can now re- be relieved. And um, I look forward to hearing from you. We do next week with interpersonal skills again. And then uh, then there's a, uh, actually a break. And then we're going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to interview somebody or have be joined by somebody for three weeks in a row who's had, uh, who's had to deal with the hell of borderline types of problems for uh, a long time and has a whole story to tell about it that I think is pretty inspiring. I'll tell you about her next week. Okay. Um, Take care. Have a good week. Bye.